Welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. Conventions are over and we're getting back into the swing of things. Slowly but surely, ticket by ticket, event by event. Okay. Uh, <laughs> personal life issues by personal life issues. Yes, that too. Um, but the first thing that we had done was something that everybody is talking about, and that's in another room. Which this began as a series of Instagram posts, which piqued everyone's interest uh, who was into uh, immersive theater. I, I think... Uh, some of the ARG fans kind of hooked onto it and because they actually like I loved their lead up to this because I thought what they did with Instagram was really smart and the fact that they just laid out a mystery and early on they said hey this is all leading to a ticketed event right and that's the way you look at things which, yes which is funny because it's like <laughs> I looked at it and it was like, oh, this is rad because it's almost it's like a true crime Instagram story. Like right. this is awesome. Yes. But I didn't go to like, I'm glad I know it's a ticketed event. Well, it just at that point and actually we had talked about it on a podcast of how suddenly all these mysterious things were appearing and nobody knew what any of them were. So everyone was trying to figure out what they wanted to invest their time and effort into. And it's kind of hard sometimes going in blind when there's so many options anymore. And L.A. right now has so many options of cool stuff. So I loved the story that they told. Yeah, same here. A person going to investigate what may or may not be a haunted house. Yeah, which is funny since the last podcast was an interview inside a haunted house. (laughs) Right, exactly. So I'm sensing a theme for this season. I think we would be intrigued by that story. Yes, absolutely. Mike? What'd you think? I loved it. That's all there is to say. I mean, it was awesome. It was such a good way. You know, we talked about different ways of storytelling and the nest always comes up with that. Picture the nest and combine it with a theater piece and it tells a story and it's, that's what this was. And it was, it was just so good. Yeah. I, I, there's so many things working in the favor of the story, one in particular is the location. You actually went to a house in Los Angeles, uh, what seemed like a very, very old home. Uh, and we met the owner very briefly. And she explained that um, it was in her family, and yet she was uncomfortable living there, particularly because of things that she had felt and seen and heard inside the house when she did stay there. And um, we were about to enter this house. So she let us in, but she refused to go very far inside. And then we walked upstairs and we met the character who we had been following on Instagram. And at the end of the Instagram story, the character, who went by the name W. Moreau, we discovered basically in the center of one of the upper floors, uh, having a bad day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I thought she was having a bad day. <laughs> well, first of all, it was very surprising that it was a is a woman. I think uh, that's a many, sexist. I know. I think many people just assumed it was a male investigator, and uh, it was actually a woman who was investigating things in the history of the house. And what began to unfold after a very nice jump scare 
uh, was <laughs> there was a series of doorways surrounding you, and each doorway led into a room. And each room told a story. Exactly. And you went in and you met the spirits who were haunting those rooms. The, my, the cool thing that I loved about this was I, I don't recall ever encountering a theater piece quite like this in the fact that you had multiple timelines going on in the same room uh, simultaneously. What do you mean, like present and past? Yeah, exactly. There was one room in, in particular where you realized that in that particular room, it seemed that multiple people wound up meeting the same unfortunate end. Right. And you met two people who met the unfortunate end from two different time periods. And their stories paralleled, but they were from different generations. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I found that fascinating. And another room that we went into... Uh, you there was a young couple who were playing at going and investigating in a haunted house and they, and they thought it was going to be a cute date night well come to find out that didn't turn out very cute for them and when you sat in the room you watched that story unfold as you were also listening to another spirit from a much earlier time unfold his story and another thing mike which struck me was what they did with the sets, and you referenced the nest, and I'm glad you did, because one of the things that we spoke so highly about the nest was um, the location which they created. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the house worked in their favor here. I thought the rooms were so well laid out and so well decorated and odd representations of what the spirits felt. Flowers hanging from places where you would normally not see flowers. Uh, strings with keys dangling. Photographs. Cracked mirrors. There were all sorts of odd little touches in all of these rooms that reflected the story of the spirit trapped within them. I thought, I just thought this worked on so many levels. Oh, it totally did. And you mentioned all the little touches and it's little touches like I mentioned photographs because there was a great room that that had some. And I don't want to say just in case this gets redone, which it should because it's incredible. But you have your photo taken before you walk in the house. And what happens because of that doesn't need to happen. Like that didn't need to happen, but they did it anyway. And it adds such a cool factor to your story and your journey through that house. Yeah, you become a factor in the history of the house. And I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I thought that was a wonderful touch and very poignant at the end because that, that um, the room uh, you're referring to takes place after sort of, uh, sort of a realization of why you're there and and you know what the spirits want from you or are trying to tell you by revealing their stories this was a very god i don't want to say low key but i don't know where i'm going with this it, it just, i just thought it was a very almost delicate piece in mm -hmm. ways yeah that makes sense and that i i found it quite lovely and i found it enchanting and i found it somewhat disturbing to be totally honest in a couple of places um you know it's it's funny because i've i've uh, heard several people reference the the 70s room 
the wallpaper in that room <laughs> was astounding. <laughs> so my older sisters had wallpaper similar to that at one point. Um, you really felt like you'd traveled back several decades. Right. And the ending of that room, which I, I have to compliment some wonderful, subtle lighting shifts and sound cues throughout this entire show. And that was one of those rooms where a lighting shift indicated uh, a story point that I thought was just, it intensified everything. And, you know, you find the, you know, you find out what happens at the end of someone's life. And as the light intensifies, you realize how painful that journey was for that person. I thought that was wonderful. Um, I really do hope in some way that this does get a remount. Yeah, it's too good not to. So I know it depends on location. Uh, we spoke briefly with some of the creators uh, right afterwards, and I know that it's their intention, if they can, to remount it. But uh, they're dealing with everything from locations and time. So um, we wish them well. Yeah, but this is and this is another. I think I said this with when we talked about the nest and all of these new theater companies and these new immersive companies in LA. Each one is starting to like outdo the next and. It's it's such a wonderful time to be here to experience these things because, you know, when at first when these Instagram things pop it, popped up, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, it's another Instagram. Oh, like it's probably going to be a show. But look at what is happening with all of these things and all of these events like this. But in another room, I mean, whatever they do next, everybody is going to jump on because in another room was just so incredible. Mm hmm. And it, uh, it makes me not want to try to do anything because like you see something like this and it's just like, I could never do this. And like, <laughs> how are you not doing this full time? This is too good to be like, like not a hobby, but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. it's like, I, I want to see their next show. I want to see their next piece. Definitely. So this, this is just kind of wet my appetite to see what these people have in their brains that they're going to unleash next this and yeah this show i think is the first step of a journey which i hope takes them far definitely and for more information on in another room you can check them out on instagram uh look up in another room all one word and you should really check out their instagram from the very beginning because you can see the setup and development of the story that led into the live event for in another room they have some beautiful images some really intriguing mysterious posts in their past uh really cool to check out and have fun with so then you had a run-in with uh, another kind of cult didn't you <laughs> Yes, I seem to can't get away from the cult things this uh, last couple of years. So uh, I went to celebrate Remembrance Day with the Order of Beleth. All right. Tell me or more. The Order of Billeth, depending on which character <laughs> in this universe that you're talking to. I find a lot of humor in the fact that they actually, in, in this universe, they pronounce the name different ways, depending on who you're talking to. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... um Yes, there was an invitation to Remembrance Day, uh, which uh, when we arrived, uh, we, we were um, informed that Remembrance Day for the Order of Beleth was a day to celebrate all of those that had come before in the Order who had worked so hard to bring Beleth back to Earth. Now, if you may recall that, Mike, uh, you 
went to an event earlier where you actually heard an audio recording, were given an audio recording. Yes. And at the end of that audio recording, there was something very odd. Yeah. So some strange noise, which supposedly was an attempt to bring Beleth into our plane. Uh, so this is an order which is striving to bring Beleth, whoever or whatever that is, they believe that it will bring good and light to our world. And people have been working on this for quite some time. And Remembrance Day was a chance to get together and celebrate and um, pay tribute to those who've worked for so long trying to make this happen. At Midsummer Scream, uh, we described uh, several encounters where we met uh, one of the original Belette disciples who had basically gone feral, and we helped contain him at Midsummer Scream. Oh, yeah, when you were the master baiter. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yes, I was bait. <laughs> so uh, the reason I'm mentioning that is it does come into play on Remembrance Day. So I showed up at Remembrance Day. There was a, a large group of people there. Uh, Steve Lundy, who is the first knight of the Order of Beleth, apparently, he welcomed us. And I had never met Steve Lundy before. This is the first time. He's been around at several events. I've never had the chance to meet him before. So he welcomed us and stated that, you know, we were here to celebrate those that came before us and were working toward the, you know, bringing Beleth back. And uh, he said that, that during the course of the evening, we were supposed to just mingle and get to know each other. He introduced several people from the order, uh, and then refreshments were served. And during that time, you just mingled and met other participants, other people interested in the order of Beleth, and you met several um, characters. I spoke with a gentleman named Henry, who actually was a lower knight in the order, uh, who I, I admit seemed a little frustrated and off. And I kind of get the, got the sense that he wasn't happy with Mr. Lundy for some reason. Um, I actually, Mike, spoke to Mr. Lundy because I wanted to know after Midsummer Scream what happened to that disciple that we contained. So I asked Mr. Lundy flat out. I said, I have this concern about the order. I, you know, I'm new. I don't understand all of the tactics and all of the agendas. And he said, well, what's on your mind? And I said, that disciple was feral and was not in touch with his humanity. And I just, just looked him in the eye and I said, was his humanity restored? And he gave me this very odd smile and a pat on the back and like, everything is fine, which I got to admit, wasn't that reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, uh, I, he went on to other patrons and, you know, I spoke with the woman with the red umbrella who we also met at Midsummer Scream. Uh, she told us a little bit about how she was raised as a foster child with her brother and how the order of Beleth had really taken them in and, and shown them such kindness and goodness. But as this was going on, names were being called Mike and we were being pulled out one by one. And what happened when your name was called is you sort of went through a series of tests. You met the man with the black umbrella and you were blindfolded. And then you were informed that uh, you were going to have to go through a couple of things that were going to test you. And they included things like, um, how do I put this... Uh, sensations like there was temperature and touch there was some aggressive handling at one point i was surprisingly put in a very tight chokehold and something was whispered in my ear and that instruction 
I could either choose to follow or ignore. And there was, I had to What'd eat. you do? <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Oh my God. So uh, we had to eat something. Uh, there was a wonderful moment um, during this where a conversation was had about the masks that we wear every day. And there was a beautiful image you know, the blindfold was removed and across this very, very wide expanse of room, there was a woman, I don't want to say dancing, but moving very slowly, almost rhythmically uh, with a white mask on her face. And then our eyes were covered once again and she came forward. And the next time we were able to see, she was almost in a jump scare right very close to us. And she asked us if we would be willing to remove our masks and who we would be underneath if we truly revealed our true selves. Um, that's a fascinating conversation, and I thought that was a really nice, interesting part of the test. And, you know, I nodded and, and, and agreed that I would be willing to try to remove my masks. And it's also interesting that during the um, the reception, when I was speaking with Henry, who was one of the lower knights of the order, he also was talking about who we are in everyday lives and what we spend our times doing. You know, it's like I, I've been on a philosophical kick recently. So I've been looking at my career and relationships and friendships and who I am and what I think of my friends and people I work with. And so all of this really played nicely into where I was anyway, Mike. It was just kind of an added bonus, like, oh, wow, this is actually hitting me right where I am, which, you know, I love it when a theater piece does that. So before I went to this, I received a kind of mysterious email, Mike, and it was from someone known as WK, and it just was a little bit of a warning. Is it Andrew WK? So, no, it was not. <laughs> so you didn't get to party hard. No, nope. nope. So, uh, you're crossing the streams there. So, Never. <laughs> so, um, the email sort of was a warning about the order isn't who they say they are. And that at some point, uh, I would either be given instruction or contact would be made. Well, what happened was when I was put in the chokehold, someone, I don't know if it was the person who had me in the chokehold. I don't know if it was someone that they were working with, but someone slipped something into my hand <laughs> don't oh yeah don't go there <laughs> go on and i was told that if the order of Beleth did anything that didn't agree with me or that i thought was questionable what they gave me would protect me well i soon realized that you know the small object in my hand was a pill so I had the choice of whether or not I would take that pill, and if so, when I would take that pill during the night, because I didn't know what they were referencing. It was a warning, but I didn't know what they were referencing. What was the order going to do to me? Because they were obviously testing me, and they were testing everyone there for some reason. I made the decision that at one point during the course of the evening, I would actually take the pill just to protect myself. I don't know what everyone else did. I don't know other people. I don't know how many other people were given that option. So, but I think that was the, uh, that was the sign that WK was trying to clue me in would happen was that someone would, you know, like 
give me a pill that would protect me. So I did. At some point, I did manage to take the pill. So, and I tried to do so as secretly as possible. I don't know if I succeeded. I was blindfolded when I did it. So I don't know if anyone saw me do it or not. So I don't know if the order trusts me or not. I think they do. So I got through the test. I joined the rest of the group. Nice conversations were had. Um, At the very end of the evening, after everyone had apparently been pulled away and tested, Steve Lundy stepped forward, read us a lovely poem celebrating Remembrance Day, paying tribute to the people who had celebrated Remembrance Days beforehand. And at this point, he named uh, a couple of new knights in the order. One of them was a patron and uh, who had been to, I think, every event that they'd had so far. And one of them was a very shy young girl named Rachel, who I'd spoken to very, very briefly. And Rachel, it was revealed that she was Steve Lundy's daughter. She was named as one of the knights, and she didn't really seem honored or happy by this announcement. She quickly faded back into the crowd. Steve Lundy announced that we had all passed our test and and we had proven ourselves as acolytes of the Order of Beleth. And in return for our efforts so far, and knowing that we would probably continue with the Order trying to bring Beleth back, we were uh, given a pin to identify ourselves by as acolytes of the Order of Beleth. And after that, after everyone was received their pin, uh, Jeremy was the character who was very helpful in, in helping everyone make sure everyone got anything. Um, we were led into another room, Mike, and Steve Lundy... Oh, we just talked about that. What? Oh. <laughs> wow! <laughs> That's cool that they did a back-to-back thing. I totally was blindsided by that joke. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Um, we, were, we were led to another room in the same building, and the three disciples that we had heard mention of, one of the disciples, the disciple that was contained at Midsummer Scream, and two other disciples were in that room. And these disciples are creepy-looking people. Uh, they have uh, very pale complexions, and the veins are very visible on their skin, and uh, they kind of are hooded and... They don't look quite right. They're very intense beings to be around for very long at all. They were in the room. We were asked to to form a semicircle. And Steve Lundy started to explain to us that, that in order for Beleth to come back, that Beleth needed a vessel and that he had thought long and hard and he was going to share with us tonight, since we were there on Remembrance Day, who the vessel was going to be. And he announced that it was going to be Rachel, his daughter. Rachel was not happy. Rachel began to freak out. And at this point, Henry, who I had talked to earlier in the evening, and Henry was uh, one of the lower knights uh, in the Order of Beleth, he stepped forward. And he actually challenged Stephen Lundy, who I've never seen anyone sort of question Stephen Lundy's position before. So he challenged Stephen Lundy to the fact that, like, you're acting selfishly. Like, you're not taking the order's needs into consideration. This is all selfish. This is all guided through your personal desires. And at that point, one of the disciples who had manifested herself as apparently Steve Lundy's late wife, Tabitha, came forward, and Steve Lundy recognized her as Tabitha. Tabitha jumps forward and kills Rachel by strangling her to death. 
And of course, all of us as new acolytes of the Order of Beleth are stunned by this. It happens and unfolds fairly quickly. And at that point, we are rushed out of the building. Jeremy is rushing us out of the building. Jeremy had been taking care of us all evening and making sure that we'd been taken care of and had refreshments and anything that we needed. He was there for us. And at this point, he goes into like protection mode and tries to get everyone out of the building as fast as possible. And the last thing that I saw was Jeremy closing the door saying, I have to get back to Steven. I have to be there for Steven, which is really interesting to me that Jeremy seemed a little put out sometimes. I think that, that he was the one doing all the serving of us. And yet Steve Lundy has been challenged. And yet Jeremy seems loyal to Steve Lundy. Like, like it was just, it was like this, it was one of those, like the show ended it on a, on this note of, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like, wait, why would you do that? So I'm curious. I want to know what Steve Lundy has that makes people like Jeremy so intrigued by him and willing to follow him no matter what. I want to know why Henry thinks that what Steve Lundy did was selfish. I want to know, you know, what happened to Tabitha? We've heard some of the story before, if you've been following them on Instagram or Facebook, but like Tabitha reappeared to kill her own daughter. Like So they, so they have all of these weird unanswered questions. Um, but yeah, that was sort of Remembrance Day. So here are the things that I kind of took away. I thought it was fascinating that they were managing to create sort of an open world vibe with sort of a haunt vibe because it's sort of like the test section had haunt-esque tones to it. You know, the chokehold, the being blindfolded, the being led around in the dark, um, having things touch you, cold things, warm things, like all, you know, having all of this going on as you couldn't see had sort of a haunt guided element to it. But the rest of it was sort of, you know, open world. You had to explore, find the characters. There's a plus and a minus to that for me. And... You know, the plus is it's fascinating. The minus is I didn't get to speak to all the characters. So I don't know if I missed out on story points. So there's a good thing and a bad thing to the open world concept. And I hear a lot of creators talking now, you know, and now I'm not talking about Order of the Left. I'm talking about like immersive and theater in general. I hear a lot of people talking about open world constructions now where you roam and you find things and you you know, learn things by searching stuff. Um, I am finding for me personally, Mike, that I would rather be somewhat guided. Right. So I, because I feel like I am not getting the full story or I'm not getting the story that the creator intended necessarily if everything is completely open world. Sometimes there isn't an intended story in an open world though. That's, that's an issue that I have with the open world. Right. I love it. Really? Oh, yeah. Because fortune favors the bold. You know, you don't have to just sit and be told a story or have your hand held to go to this next story point. Like, I love that you have to, like, find it or work for it or, you know, like, what you experience might not be what the next person experiences because of that. And I, I don't know. I like it. I, I totally understand the appeal, but... I prefer more a version where I'm being more led than the standard open world construction. And I think somewhere in the Order of Beleth event, Remembrance Day, they were experimenting with the idea that 
there's an open world in this room, but we're going to pull you out and tell you a story in this other room. Right. Best of both worlds. Yeah. And then we're going to put you back in the open world. And then the open world ended. And then we were led into that second room for what was, I think, supposed to be a possession and ended up being a sacrifice. So um, I think the whole thing could have gone faster. But I also know that the tests were taking longer and, you know, it's just you had to accommodate everything. You had to accommodate both of these worlds in one building. Uh, Fascinating premise. And I do like the story that is unfolding. The idea that you have this, you don't know what this order is really up to, but the hints have been fascinating. You know, the audio file that you got, you know, um, I went to a meeting in a park uh, I don't know how long ago was that a month and a half ago and um, you know spoke with one of their you know people that honestly believed that Beleth was going to bring goodness for all of us and that was a fascinating encounter but yeah I like the world they're creating this was a mixed bag for me because of the open world stuff I didn't know when to move on from character to character. I missed a couple of characters. I went to approach one character and then found out that the open world was ending at that point. So it was a little uneven for me, but I totally understand what you're saying about the adventure of exploring and finding what you find works. Actually, to be totally honest, that's almost like an escape room mentality on some level. Shocker, I'd have that. (laughs) And i that's one of the things I like about escape rooms. So yeah, that works. Um, so yeah, a little bit of a mixed bag, but I did enjoy the Remembrance, Remembrance Day celebration, and I want to learn more about Beleth. I want to know what she really is. So hearing you talk about this and, and some of the things you said, it sounds a bit familiar. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean... Are we going to say it? <laughs> it sounds a lot like tension. It does. I'll, I'll say it. Yeah. I wasn't there, but based on what you've told me, and this isn't what it seems, like that's exactly what we said about the OOA last year. Um, you said you took shots of apple cider vinegar. That happened in Ascension. You were blindfolded. That happened in Ascension. I mean, that happens in a lot of content. Yeah, but, that happens yeah. in a lot of shows. But like, it's, um... you know, there was a sacrifice in front of everyone. There was a sacrifice and ascension. Yeah, there are definitely similar story points happening in Beleth that happened in Tension. But similar or the same? (laughs) Um, It's... I mean... The cult aspect of it is very different from Tension. In the fact that, you know, you, you are... The fact that you don't... Well, actually, no, that's similar to Tension. The fact that you don't know what the being is. Yeah, Anok. So, and in this case, it's Beleth. Right. So, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. There are definite similarities between the two worlds. Um, their approach is very different. You know, this whole open world thing, you know, where we were given literally more than an hour, I think, overall to talk to the characters and ask whatever questions we want. You know, that's, that's you know, tension doesn't do that kind of thing necessarily. But, um, but yeah, I, I see your point. There are definitely similarities between the, to the two universes, which does not work in their favor. Um, but I will say this. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, Beleth will deliver what Tension didn't. I hope Beleth returns. 
I want to be there if Boleth returns, <laughs> especially after that recording um, that we heard where this demon sort of sound bellowed from the darkness. Um, so, yeah, I see your point. Definitely. There are similarities between the two universes and the two storylines. It will be interesting to see where this develops and goes. But it's not even the universe and storyline. It's the tactics. Yeah, the tactics are very similar. I don't know. It's Like I said, I wasn't there, but just based on what you told me and everything you said here, it's like, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, there are definitely similarities. Cool. Okay. For more information on the Order of Beleth, go to their website, orderofbeleth.com, or check them out on Facebook. Do a search for Accept Beleth's Love on Instagram, Order of Beleth, and on Twitter, Order of Beleth. And Beleth is spelled B-I-L-E-T-H. So after Beleth, we did something together, and we drove down to San Diego to check out Optica Moderna. And holy crap. Yeah, I think that's the appropriate response. The actual full name of the show was Optica Moderna LA Vision Paranormal Presents Waking La Llorona a multi-sensory, immersive experience inspired by one of Mexico's most legendary tales. Now, this was a presentation made possible by a grant from the Creative Catalyst Fund of the San Diego Foundation, and it's, it was produced in guidance and support from the Old Globe Theater. And the piece was conceived and directed by David Israel Reynosa and co-directed by Karina Malia. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing those names right. Well, and the cool thing about this is um, David is the does, was the designer of Sleep No More, and Malia created the role of Hecate. Is, is it? I believe that's it, yeah. Hecate in the original production. So there's like immersive theater royalty yeah. doing this piece. And it shows. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh... Mike, I think like at the end of the year, I think this is going to be one of my top two or three shows of the entire year. Oh, wow. So it was worth the drive then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, I mean, I what was the first thing I said to you when I walked out? Because you went in before me mm-hmm. and I walked out and the first thing I said was, I Let's want some to burgers. do this again. Oh, no. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> before we said, I want some burgers, like I want to do this again. Yeah. And... um I I know this was funded by a grant, and uh, so I'm I I know that there's hope that this will continue or a version of this will continue. So we don't want to do too much spoiler heavy stuff, but it like I think you can literally gauge by the title that you entered the La Llorona mythology. Russell, your blanco is showing. It's La Llorona. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> I just said it. <laughs> okay. So, um So yeah, Mike, how what what do you want to say about this? Um I I don't even know. Um you're taken through a journey and you it's multisensory. Um you're touched, you see things, you hear things, and you experience things and we mentioned the designer is from sleep no more and we made a joke about you can tell, but it's not really a joke because thing, things like that you don't even think about until it's ha- like when you go to a show, you don't go into a show thinking 
I wonder if the music is going to sync up with the actor's movements. <laughs> and you don't appreciate that until you see it in every single place you walk in the show because that's what happened. And at some points I got taken out of the show because it's like, can they hear the music I'm hearing? How are they doing this so well? How are they singing this song when like with the, I have headphones on my ears. They can't hear this. How are they doing this? How, like, how are they this good? Yeah, it's, um, it was extremely impressive. The coordination of the audio that was used, as Mike mentioned, you wore headphones during the entire, the entire show. And um, your vision was altered a little bit um, by something that you wear. Uh, this began, I mean, if, if the name is Optica Moderna, the way that the story begins is you are told that you're going to go to an optometrist appointment. So all of this is your perspective, your eyesight, what you see and take in. That is the show. And it just so happens that it's this mythology that you're walking through and you're seeing glimpses and pieces of it. And it's up to you to interpret what portion of the legend you're in or you're interacting with. And as Mike mentioned, the design was... So beautiful. The placement, um, I actually mentioned this to you, uh, Mike. I walked into a room and literally the simple placement of a cross. Uh, I think I gasped when I saw the beauty. <laughs> Just like, I, I was like, I was, and then, <laughs> and I was, I was so heavily concentrating on the set at that point that I, I, I realized that like, oh wait, there's a character in the room with me. And that character you know, came over and completely non-verbally told me the saddest thing that happened isn't in his entire life. And I felt like I, that kept happening to me scene after scene after scene. That's been happening in life day after day after day <laughs> lately. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's been a rough month. Um, but the beauty of this show, Mike, is like I keep remembering visions walking into a room and seeing a woman dressed completely in white you know uh being asked to open a door takes on an incredibly <laughs> just amazingly powerful meaning yeah when you get to the end of this if you if you're familiar with the mythology of the story you know that um there is there are children who meet a very unfortunate end as part of this story and the way they conveyed that in the show um was devastating yeah after after that happened all i could do was smile thinking about how you would react at that point <laughs> I I wanted to refuse but you can't refuse because that is the story that's yeah. being told so I, you know, I wanted to somehow make it not true and I failed because I had to fail. That's the story. Well, you didn't fail. You succeeded in what you had to do. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, it's like I got to the end of the story and, um, yeah, I actually sort of like moaned. I was like, no, co, no, no, no. <laughs> I was kind of like doing something like that. I think, um, uh, I, I think this is one of those things that we just have to say, 
anyone who's in the Southern California area needs to keep your eye open for this if it returns in some form. Like, this was worth a two-hour drive for a half-hour show. I would do it again tomorrow if it were an option. Yeah. I did a follow-up email, by the way. Okay. I emailed the doctor that I saw in the appointment. And I just wanted to thank her because I felt that, you know, her and her staff had really helped me. And she wrote back completely in character and saying that she was very happy that they could help and that they would keep me posted if there were other appointments available. Awesome. And I just thought that was a wonderful way of handling that. But I wanted to reach out afterwards and just thank them for such an amazing experience. Because it was. Yeah. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to a couple special people in San Diego, um, Sean and Tiffany, because not only did we get to hang out with them, but they took us to this place called Funky Fries. <laughs> and if you listen to this podcast, you know my affection, love interest of macaroni and cheese. And we went to Funky Fries and they have a burger that has, first of all, it was charred burger like you could oh oh, it was so good yeah the burger is excellent there and it had bacon but it also has a fried deep fried mac and cheese patty on top of it i i feel emotional right now just talking about it (laughs) it was ridiculously good so if you go to san diego for this show or you go to san diego in general go to funky fries and get the macaroni and cheeseburger because it's life-changing. And now back to the show. <laughs> and I will say, I just had the regular burger because I wasn't hungry enough to warrant the mac and cheese burger. Uh, their regular burger was so darn good. And by the way, masterfully done tater tots. Perfection. Says the Southern boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the tots were good. Uh, tater tots, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Those two. Just making sure. For more information on Optica Moderna, and by the way, that is spelled O-P-T-I-K-A-M-O-D-E-R-N-A. You can go to their website at opticamoderna.com and Instagram at opticamoderna. And I do want to mention one thing about this show, uh, which, as we mentioned, was called Waking La Llorona. There is a festival from the La Jolla Playhouse, uh, which is called the Without Walls Festival. It does look like Waking La Llorona is going to have a few performance dates as part of that festival. You can go to the Without Walls website, and we'll include a link in the show notes, and find out more information about that. Dates have not actually been announced yet. However, tickets are going on sale for the Without Walls Festival. It is a festival that around the San Diego area features some immersive uh, performances, dance performances. Uh, The Without Walls Festival offers interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, Mike, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to go down there because uh, it literally happens in October and I've never had the free time. But uh, it does look like they're going to include a few performances of of this show at the Without Walls Festival in the San Diego area. Go for it if you can. It's, it's, It's a worthy performance. And also, check out the other interesting stuff. The Without Walls Festival website has some really cool stuff on it. Um, And just this past week, we did another thing together. We did two things, actually. Yes. Um, We did Annie Lesser's new piece, Elevator, Mm -hmm. which is E uh, for ABC Project. And Elevator has 
it's like three shows in one. It's three moving parts, definitely. It's elevator, students, and friends. And we saw students the other night uh, as part of a, a test audience. And then just tonight, we saw friends. Now, as far as students goes, um, we can't say too much about it because what we saw was a test run through. And again, this like this goes back to the open world thing. Um, you entered sort of an art gallery and you were taking on the role of students that were going to an art exhibit by, for extra credit for extra credit. And you were supposed to interact with the artists and gain information about them and report back to the teacher that you were reporting to for the extra credit. The trick here is that the artists are actually facing certain challenges of their own. You were basically going to a mental institution. Yeah. And your project was to diagnose them and try to figure out what what their issue was. So there's a lot going on and it's sort of an open world environment like we discussed earlier where you could go anywhere in this area and interact with these characters, hear their story, learn what inspired the art that they created. And some of that was utterly fascinating. Um, we, uh, I know they worked heavily on the ending after we left. So I don't feel like we got the, the ending that was probably part of the full show. But seeing what we saw, like I thought it was a really cool idea. It's a very cool idea. And, and, I had one of those moments where I identified with a character and I, I became protective of that character as the show escalated into something more intense. Right. And I became, I felt like I became friends with the, one of the first people I met because he commented on my shirt and I was like, oh, and we kind of started talking about music and he's like, oh yeah, and this is my art. And I was like, your art's awesome. And, and then like <laughs> other people came up and he told, started talking to them about something else different, like that was different from what he talked to me about. So I stayed and, you know, and I know that's kind of like a problem with uh, an open world because you don't want to leave if you, yeah. if you become attached to someone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that's kind of like what I was mentioning earlier with Order of Beleth is you don't know when to move from one character to the other. And I had that problem in, in this piece, in, in the student's piece. So, cause I think I lingered too long probably in, in the, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, the mirror area, there was a mirror, there was a series of mirrors in one area, which was utterly fascinating by the way. I don't know if you got back into that corner very much, but did he have you do the thing where you were trying to hide yourself from the mirror? No. It was very funny. The, the character was, was having us try to stand between the mirrors so your reflection you couldn't see your own face but you could see your body hmm. it was it was really fun and he was making analogy about being there and not being there it was it was actually highly entertaining so um so yeah so we saw that as sort of a test and then we went back this evening mike for the friends portion of this show um and before we get there so sure Students is for up to 12 audience members, I believe, 10, mm -hmm. 10 or 12. Friends is for up to three, and an elevator is for two. And so prefacing that when we talk about friends. Right. What did you think of friends? It was, it was, yeah, it was good. It, I, it, it's one of those things that I'm still processing, but just the way you find out what's really going on 
was great because you think one thing at first, then it's like, oh, wait, no. Okay, this is what's happening. And then you find out, it's like, oh, wait, that's not it. It's this. And then one more time, it's like, oh, my God. Okay, now I get it. This is what's going on. And I loved that I kept guessing and figuring that out. I'm going to be a little bit more specific, and I know we can't do too spoilery uh, a reveal, but why we were there is what kept changing. Right. And that was so wonderfully done in the fact that uh, the premise for this show, what you find out is you are going to probably be saying goodbye to a friend as he goes and gets some help for a problem that he's dealing with. So he, he is apparently checking himself into an institute of some kind. That is information that you can get before the show. So when you show up and you meet this person, and you literally do meet them on a street corner in downtown Los Angeles, the conversation that starts is so layered and just keeps revealing piece after piece of information and why you're there and how long you've known this person and what you mean to them and what they mean to you. Uh, And I have to give credit to the two performers, Kate and Mikey. Yeah. They're performers that we have encountered in shows before, like Covell and Barbershop. And Apartment 8. I got to admit, Mike, when um, the show started and I realized it was going to be those two performers, I was so excited. (laughs) Because I just, I, I love seeing shows with these two people in them. Right. The show sort of begins with a greeting, and I was hooked from that moment. When he came up and said hello to me, I was like, I would do anything for either of you. <laughs> I was just, I was in 100%. And Kate, I, Kate and Mikey, you heard that. So, <laughs> so feel free next time you see Russell. So anything. I, um, yeah, that's what I felt. It was very genuine. I, I, that's how deeply moved I got by this performance. You know, and it, and there's a there's sort of a a goodbye um, at one point during the show um, that that I just I thought was heartbreaking. I don't know what else we can say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it is you you. It's a study of a relationship, and you. I I don't know if the relationship is over. Literally, Mike and I saw this show. By the way, uh, an hour and a half ago, so we're still processing it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what to think of the relationship. I mean, just from what I saw and the advice I gave that he took, I'm pretty sure I have my 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 answer. Yeah, and I I think I'm probably reaching the same answer. Um, and that's another thing which I want to commend, you know, Annie Lesser and um, the cast of this particular piece on is we were so involved, Mike. Yep. Like they completely pulled us into the relationship and like we factored into it. We influenced it. Uh, we revealed things about the past of that relationship. Um, it was a really, really nicely done piece. Agreed. And unfortunately, neither of us did elevator, but yeah, that sold out really quick. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really curious because the way this show is structured is, our show friends sort of overlapped and one of the characters from our show began to influence the elevator show. Mm -hmm. 
and the elevator characters influenced our show. And, and then the students came into our show as well. Yeah, at the very end. So uh, it, it was a really, really intricate, woven tapestry of a show, sort of. Any lesser is the Quentin Tarantino of immersive theater. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. As we mentioned earlier, Mike, uh, Elevator is part of the ABC Project, which is an ongoing series of shows um, representing each letter of the alphabet. So this is all part of the ABC Project created by Annie Lesser. On Facebook, check out ABC Theater. And on Instagram, look up ABC underscore interactive, and that will lead you to more information about upcoming shows in the ABC Project. So, it's time. Is it? It is. <laughs> okay. Are we still using the same one? So, I guess we are. Okay. Let's talk about what happened with us and the Lust experience. Lust. Oh, yeah. So, we both had some interesting encounters within the Lust experience lately. Yes, yes we did. Um, I'll start with mine because yours is pretty incredible. (laughs) Um, yours was very interesting too. So we know that Noah Sinclair was having a seminar and that was one of the ticketed events that was happening. It was about taking what you want and taking what's yours and the system. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And leading up to that, the, a few days before that, there was a lot of periscopes and he had people go out and do things like, cause he wanted people to change lives, whether it be their own or the people that they encountered. Um, there were periscopes about, uh, going up to someone and telling them something you've never told anybody, telling them a secret. There are periscopes about, uh, him asking you to, to tell people what you hate about yourself. And all of that was leading up to the seminar. All of these things were happening. And, you know, we always joke about how, how lust and tension and OSDM and all of them, they know so much more about us than we think. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's true because I ended up being a surprise guest at that seminar. And at one point I came out on stage and man, like it was funny. There were people cough, Brian cough, yelling F you. Um, people were, were saying like, Oh, what is happening? And Oh my gods and all of that stuff. And what I did is basically did a in-person live version of those, those periscopes because this year has sucked, man. Um, you can probably hear it in some of the podcasts where, you can hear it in my voice where things have just, you can tell things are not right. Um, but things are cool. Um, everything's fine. Don't worry. This is fine. Picture the dog in the flames. Um, but yeah, so, uh, they had me be the surprise guest, which was really cool. And yeah, I, I spilled my guts and it sucks, <laughs> but it was cool. Um, so yeah. And thank you for everyone that, came up to me and talked to me afterwards and and who the people that shared things with me and yeah we're not alone i said that then i'm saying it now we're not alone so don't worry about it 
uh, well, no, I mean, you can still worry about it because sometimes <laughs> like it, it sucks, like life sucks. <laughs> like, so yes, you can worry about it, but you can always talk to other people. So worry about it with, with a group of people or one person or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was the thing I was able to go to the seminar and, and it was pretty cool. So, um, then you had some stuff happen. Wait. <laughs> no. Before we move on. No, we can move on. <laughs> um, I, of course, didn't know this was going to happen. Right. Um, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I totally understand why I was not able to know in advance. I am so disappointed that I wasn't there because I, I know you've, Look, you and I both have had, kind of had rough years mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in different, many very different ways. Um, uh, but I was disappointed when I heard that that had happened because I, I, you know, I wanted to be there to support you in whatever you did. And I've tried to be supportive as your friend anyway. So it just disappointed me. But it, it wasn't, I couldn't attend that seminar. Right. Because... Noah Sinclair and the system, you know, and down to register. Like I have felt nothing but disrespect and dismissal. Yeah. From that. And I get that. And so there's no way I could attend it. So, and seeing what I saw of him be like, like in those periscopes and even him admitting like things he hated about himself and seeing him at the seminar, it's like, I really do think he is trying to help in his own way. Um, but yeah, his way is not for everybody. No, it's, it's no. And they've made it clear that, you know, to me that I, I, apparently I'm not worthy. So, or at least that's the way they have made me feel. And um, yeah, I didn't need to be in that room. Yeah. Oh, and so, okay. So we mentioned on a couple of podcasts ago that, Cause this is going to lead into your story, mm-hmm. I think a little bit. So, um, we mentioned a couple of podcasts ago that Russell was in the hospital and he's fine now. Well, as fine as <laughs> he can be, I guess. I, I'm, um, I'm getting finer slowly, but surely. <laughs> and I mentioned that, uh, when I was speaking on stage and it caught a lot of people off guard and by surprise. And uh, so after the seminar, people started calling and texting Russell, like, what the hell happened to you? And right. go. And I also want to send a thank you to those people who reached out and um, were surprised. And it it was also, it was still fairly recent. (laughs) Yeah, it was the Sunday after. Yeah. And so I had literally just been out of the hospital uh, a few days. um, And, uh, you know, I started receiving all these messages. And and I, as I said, um, I had, I made a commitment, um, Mike, around mid-July that I wanted to get back into the lust experience because I'd stepped away from it because of work and, and because it just, it wasn't speaking to me. And I made the decision in mid July to like, okay, I'm, I need to like catch up and figure stuff out. And that was right when Noah was advertising this seminar for the system. And I just couldn't take it. It like, I tuned out. It was just like, no, this is not for me. I can't attend this event. Um, it just it just it just wasn't for me, so that was sort of chapter three of the lust experience this year, and at the end of chapter three was that event. So at the end of chapter three, you know, you appeared at that event, and people started asking me about, hey, heard you had a health thing, what's up? 
So I went on the forums just to say, like, hey, I really appreciate people reaching out. Um, and after that, I got a very, very odd phone call uh, one day at work. And the phone call was from someone named Joyce, who uh, at first I didn't realize who it was. And then when she said her name, it was just, oh, wait, yeah, this was the, sort of this liaison character in The Lust Experience who sort of a participant advocate, I guess. Would that be a fair? Uh, sure. <laughs> and um, she informed me that she thought it was time for her and I to talk. And obviously I was at work. It was in the middle of the day. And she said, well, later today, you know, when will you be at a quiet place where you could have a conversation? So we worked out that, you know, when I was going to get off work. And I said, it's like my plan was to just go home and that's quiet. She said, okay, great. It's like, so yeah, you can have a conversation then. And I said, yes. So I thought that she was going to call me at the agreed upon time, which was like 730. So I get home from work and, you know, I putter and, you know, grab some quick food. And at 730, I'm standing, you know, waiting, kind of like sitting around waiting for my phone to ring. And much to my surprise, uh, there's a call box on my, you know, I, I live in a unit that, that has a call box and you buzz people into a gate. Uh, the call box rang and much to my surprise, it was Joyce at my home. And at that point, oddly enough, <laughs> the call box wasn't working. So I had to go and walk them into my, uh, my home. And I walked out and it was not only Joyce, it was three other people. So that completely took me by surprise when I was expecting a phone call and then four people show up at my home. Uh, it was pretty intimidating. Yeah, but who was one of those people? <laughs> I'm Why kidding. are you? No, hurry. <laughs> Do you think I'm burying the lead? Yes. Joyce was there. And <laughs> you're giving me that look. Um, Un unamused Mike is unamused. Okay. Um, so there was a young man, there was a young woman, and then, you know, I invited them into my home. And the last person to walk in uh, was Otis. Oh, man. Which we haven't seen Otis for a while. And the odd thing about Otis was, you know, uh, I knew who Joyce was. I did not know the other two young people. And but Otis introduced himself as, hi, I'm John. I play Otis, which was a really weird moment for me because it was like, okay, well, wait, you know, this makes sense. If Joyce is the liaison, is this sort of a, I don't know, is this, as they say, out of game? Like I, I, but it's if they're here at my home, it's in game. Yeah. So I, I it, it was a really weird, confusing vibe for me. And they came in. I was offering like, hey, I got water, I got soda, I got. Well, I do this with you every time you come over. <laughs> yeah, but like, what didn't you offer? So I didn't offer ginger beer. No, I, what didn't you offer? What didn't I offer? Oh, I didn't offer Snickers and Kit Kats, hmm. which I did have. <laughs> I failed Mike, oh. apparently. <laughs> so no, I, I forgot to offer them Snickers and Kit Kats. Um, so uh, Joyce suggested I sit down and join them. Uh, I, like This was one of the things I have found is I, I get tired very easily and I have problem kind of problems focusing. And so I asked if I could record this encounter and I was denied that right. So I had to do a lot of recalling later of what had happened. But 
uh, Joyce basically was doing a check-in with me because I had said that I was feeling disconnected. And she wanted to know why, and she wanted to know what it would take for me to feel connected. And to be totally honest, it caught me so by surprise, I didn't have a good answer. I couldn't say this would fix it because there's a lot of things broken for me right now. So I, I didn't have a handy answer and I didn't want to react emotionally because she was asking for information. And so it was a very weird, it put me on the spot in a very awkward fashion and I was very uncomfortable. Now, during this, Mike, the woman, you know, with the coat uh, who had her hair pulled very tightly back uh, away from her face, had very harsh makeup on, very almost black lipstick on, she started rubbing her hand up and down my neck and around my shoulders and sort of flirtatiously just, it is actually kind of comforting to be totally honest. Um, Lust. <laughs> so she was there and uh, the young man was just sort of hovering and Otis was sitting on the arm of my sofa and Joyce was on the sofa and she'd open this briefcase which had so much information on me on it. And she actually sent a posted a photo of that briefcase on Facebook right before she walked into my home. And people were reacting to that on Facebook, I found out later. And it was all information on me, pictures of you and me from the Seraph Christmas party. So where I was wearing that kick-ass gremlin sweater, by the way. Stop. <laughs> I love that sweater. <laughs> so... um so Joyce pulls out a clipboard, and apparently what it is, Mike, is is my original tension questionnaire. Do you remember the how many times you masturbate a day? Yeah. <laughs> so many personal questions. Well, I mean, now thing. you are such a masturbator, so. <laughs> Would you <laughs> leave the masturbator joke alone? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> so, um, thank you, Order of Beleth, for creating that. Um, she was referencing that several times. And I noticed that she had a picture of me. And it, oddly enough, it was a picture of me on vacation in Chicago from a few years ago. And that's like one of those, like, they had to dig deep to find that on my Facebook stuff. Because I know it was posted at one point by a friend. Um, of all things, she asked if there was any color or noise that um, uh, created, a, a, you know, anger or aggressive reactions in me which I had totally forgotten, but apparently was one of the questions on the original tension questionnaire. And I had totally forgotten my answer. And it, it's, I wrote on the forums later, like this sounds silly, but it's improvisational jazz sets me off. It, it puts me on edge. Like it just, it's fingers on a chalkboard to me. And she kind of, I don't know. I think she was actually amused by that. <laughs> because it, it sounds like such a silly thing but it really does affect me like I, I can't be in the room where that stuff is playing it's so uncomfortable for me she asked if I knew Kristen Brown and on that particular night Kristen who lives in Texas uh, was in town and she was meeting up with people from the Lust Experience uh, we were and, eating donut burgers that's right while I was meeting with Joyce you were eating donut oh, burgers actually no we had the mac and cheese burgers because they have specials every day at the oh. Escondite. And the day we were there was the mac and cheese 
I think it was the Mr. Furley. You you really, really are getting a lot of mac and cheese in your diet these days. Yeah. But, all right, it's a good thing. Eat so. those feelings. <laughs> um, so she was asking me questions about Kristen, how well I knew her. Um, later, we found out that Kristen was contacted uh, uh, by phone. Around this time when we were still trying to like work out Kind of like I was trying to get the vibe of what this question question session was going to be about. The young man who was kind of like standing over by my TV set uh, asks where my kitchen is. And um, to describe my home, my kitchen is sort of like on, in a slightly higher level than my living room. So when he walked up to into my kitchen, I he was behind me and I couldn't see him. But I heard him kind of rummaging around the kitchen. And Joyce continues talking to me. And then a moment later, the young man comes by eating one of the yogurts that I had. And by the way, key lime, so he has good taste. So just stop. It's my it's my favorite flavor of yogurt. So okay. he, he ate one of my faves. <laughs> so well, why would you have flavors you hated in your fridge? Some that I hate, but I just like some more than other. And key lime is like the treat flavor. Then why wouldn't you just buy all key lime? So because I also like strawberries and banana. I'm fond of lemon. Okay. Why limit yourself, Mike? Because if it's your favorite, why not have it all the time? I know, but I like variety too. Okay. Hmm. You're sounding like Joyce. <laughs> Some of the questioning, I, I got to admit, I, I was so intimidated by having these four people in my home that it, it became a little overwhelming. And, um, you know, we, as I said, Joyce was wanting to know why I feel disconnected and... Uh, during the line of questioning, uh, the young woman who was kind of caressing my shoulder and neck, her phone rang a couple of times, but she couldn't seem to get the answer. Like the, the call was being dropped every time she answered the phone. And, um, she, uh, Joyce at some point pulled out, and this is funny because I literally didn't remember this fact until after the fact, and I had to post it on the forums later. Um, she pulled out the book of Anak, Mike. Our book of Anak? I believe so. The one that Michelle destroyed? That's just it. This didn't look like it had been destroyed. However, there were pages. It looked old and weathered, and it had the the traditional tension experience insignia on it on the front cover. And it took me by surprise. She asked me if I knew what it was. I said, it looks like the book of Anak, but I thought that had been destroyed. And... I kept, I was looking at it and it has, um, you know, when like in old books, when pages start to fall out of the binding and you just put them back in. Yeah. So the pages aren't even, it looked like that had happened several times. Maybe it didn't really get destroyed and just some pages came out. Or yeah. Something. So, so it looked like it was not in great shape, but I believe that was the book of Anak. Yeah. Cause I had sent you a picture of it, uh, when we were holding it feeling Anok's power running through our veins. Yeah. And to be no, totally that honest, was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Jesus, man. <laughs> so, um, Hey, I, I still think that Anok might be a good thing. So what are you, where, why are you, what? I made a joke about us holding the book and feeling the power <laughs> flow, flow through us. And you're going on this, Anyways, <laughs> and you were able to compare a picture of us holding the yes, book. Yes, I was. And it looks the right size. It looks the right dimension. Everything looks the same. I, I made a comment um, uh, that I thought it looked bluish to me in the light. And you had an epiphany tonight. 
<laughs> and literally, Mike and I were setting up to record the podcast, and I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, when Joyce held up the book of Anik, which has a dark cover on it, I actually have a lamp in the corner of my living room that has blue light bulbs in it. And I wonder if that's why I thought for a moment that it was a blue book. I, and I actually think now that it was the book that we had seen last year. And it was the book that we signed. And it was the the book where the one was determined. I, I think it is the same book. That's my personal belief. Um, so uh, she showed me that. And then finally, the young woman seemed to like make a phone call herself and get through. And Joyce was talking about me being disconnected. And she said that, you know, like we have tried, we've tried what we thought would work. We actually have a familiar voice. Um, and I have someone I'd like you to talk to. And she confirmed that someone was on the other end of the phone. And then she hands the phone to me. And um, very faintly, I hear a woman call my name a couple of times. The connection is horrible. I can barely hear her. But after a couple of times that she said Russell, I realized it was Sabrina, who is the actress who played Addison during the Tension Experience, who is the character I connected most with. Um, the interesting thing here, and I think the reason this is this is one of those moments where it didn't make sense in the moment, Mike. But I think now looking back, I think the reason Joyce needed to speak to me at this time is because, you know, we spoke briefly about the iConfidant meeting uh, during June, the Fringe Festival, where apparently I was supposed to be, like get some emotional reaction to the fact that Addison had emailed me a few times under an alias, and I didn't realize it was her. And it just didn't have an effect on me because I didn't realize it was her. So it just, it, it just didn't have an effect. So here Addison on the phone this 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 was I got to admit this was in some way this really kind of hurt but she I don't ah, that's wrong let's just say it was deeply affecting because she she talked about being connected and she said that she was sorry that I had disappointed that she had disappointed me and I again stated like no you didn't disappoint me and she said, as far as connection goes, I was one of the few things she felt connected to in this whole experience. And yeah, I mean, that, that really hit me that, you know, you know, we, I mean, we've talked to Sabrina, you know, we interviewed her for the podcast after the tension experience ended. And, you know, she did say that there was an honest connection there. So that hurt that that I felt like I hadn't been there somehow for her in that moment. And then she asked me, she said, did you think that they were mocking you? And I believe she was referring to the iConfidant incident, like the fact that I was called up in front of the community and nothing connected. And it's not that I felt like I was being mocked. I, I just felt like it was a representation of a lot of stuff that had gone wrong for me at the end of Ascension, my second time through Ascension. Um, it, it didn't feel like I was being mocked, but it did feel, I don't know, it, it, it just didn't play well for me. 
I didn't say it in the phone call at the time, Mike, but weirdly enough, the I confidant thing, because it just, it didn't register emotionally. I still don't understand how I was supposed to be emotionally affected by the fact that I didn't emotionally connect to someone that I didn't know I was supposed to be emotionally connecting to. So being told that I didn't emotionally connect was supposed to somehow emotionally like affect me. Like that just doesn't make sense to me, (laughs) but putting me in front of the community of so many people who did have a positive end to to their second time through Ascension. And, and look, there was some great stuff near the end of Ascension. You know, my favorite sequence with Sabrina happened after my second time through Ascension, but there was so much story stuff dropped. My second time through Ascension didn't work well. It felt a little almost mean-spirited to put me up in front of the community between the actress playing Addison and the actor playing Tom Barrow, which is what happened at iConfidant. It felt mean-spirited. Like, see, Russell? Hey, remember all the stuff that didn't work? I I think you're looking at it in an obviously looking at it in a negative light. Yes, I am. Absolutely. But I don't think that's on purpose. No, I don't think it was on purpose either. But it certainly didn't affect me emotionally. I was very angry in the moment. And and people and actually other participants came up and was like did did like did you feel like we're making fun of you? Because like that was really weird. Uh, and the fact that I didn't emotionally connect, but it, but it really was. It was the example of like, wait a minute. I was so invested in the Addison Tom Barrows story. And like, you got to see the reunion between the two of them. It's like, I didn't. Th- that's, you know, like, that. okay, fine. That just happened that way, I guess. But, but it just, it felt like it just... I don't know. I didn't feel like I was being mocked, but it certainly didn't feel healthy for me to be put in that position. I don't know if healthy is the right word. So all of that was sort of running through my mind. And, you know, and when she said, like, did you feel like you're being mocked? Like, no, it wasn't that. But like sitting with these four people in my home, I didn't go into any of this because you're just like, no, I, I don't know. And I, and I told her, I said, I don't know what it would take to make me feel connected you know and i and i i hope uh, i don't remember but i hope i said something to her because i do feel connected to her i always will because of addison so so obviously this was becoming very overwhelming at this point and and uh lots of things were going through my brain um so and unfortunately, because, as I said, the connection was so horrible, you know, somewhere in there, I I wanted a response from her, and I, I spoke her name. I said Sabrina several times, and the phone beeped, and just the, the call dropped, apparently. So uh, during this entire time, uh, the young man who apparently, according to people who have met him, he is kind of known as Fluffernutter Guy, Mike. Uh, apparently that's who was eating my yogurt. The young woman is still massaging my shoulders. Uh, Joyce, after the phone call ended, uh, turned her attention to Otis and said, Hey, Otis. And Otis was kind of out of it. So she was like, Otis, Otis, obviously trying to cue him. 
And she says, tell Russell what happens. Tell Russell what happens when the darkness comes. And he got really flustered. Like, like, oh, yeah, like, I, oh, yeah, there's a reason for me to be here. And um, he paused, and he looked directly at me, and he, like, raised his hands really dramatic and, and just sort of, like, when the darkness comes, it brings a whole heap of trouble with it. And, and Joyce said, like, okay, tell Russell what brings the darkness. <laughs> what brings it? And she was, like, trying to prompt him. And he, he said, like, oh, 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 oh. The pain, the pain brings the darkness. And that was Otis's purpose in being there, apparently, was to tell me about that. Otis isn't Otis anymore. I think you are correct. And I think that's... Because this goes back to the phone calls that when he called me um, saying, like, he doesn't, he woke up somewhere and he is not sure how he got there. And, like, I think they're using the helmet on him. I think you are right. I, I think... I think they were using him to reinforce the message that things change when people face whatever they face in this darkness that he refers to. Uh, the helmet may be the thing that brings that. I want to wear the helmet at this point again. I'm curious about the helmet since at that event, we were told that the helmet technology has been improved. Um, like bring the darkness, man, bring the pain. <laughs> uh so she dismisses Otis and uh, basically tells him to get out and go wait by the car. Now, Joyce had disappeared for a little while, and she asked me if in I... Your, in your house? No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> Off the forums, you know, she had made the appearance, uh, and then she had disappeared for a little while, and she asked me if uh, I had ever gone on a retreat for like a corporate retreat, and which I have done those. Um, she asked me <laughs> what I thought of them and I, I responded, I enjoyed the camaraderie, but I didn't really enjoy like the exercises that they make you do the team building exercises. And she kind of smiled and she said that she could completely relate to that because she apparently had been on a retreat recently and she explained that she had been made to really relive some of the worst decisions in her life over and over again. She asked me why I thought she might be interested in doing such a thing. And I told her I wasn't sure. And she said, I asked to do it. So obviously this was a soul searching thing for her. She made it sound like it was her choice. So she once again went back to the idea of connecting. So she came, she stood up and she walked over closer to my chair. She stated that maybe emotion wasn't the way to approach me anymore so the young woman, taking this as a cue, stepped directly in front of me, and she was wearing a, a black overcoat. So she opens her overcoat, and she reveals like this um, skin-tight, very beautiful maroon uh, dress that, um, to be honest, a very low-cut neckline, showed a little flesh, um, very, very good-looking on her, very form-fitting. And she moved in closer to me, and she leaned over and she basically put her breasts right directly in my face. <laughs> <laughs> and it was sort of going into a lap dance stance. And then she leaned down and I thought she was actually going to come in and kiss me. But when she got that close, Joyce sort of held up, you know, her little notebook that she was carrying and put a stop to it. Joyce is such a cock block. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So Joyce basically said that's enough, and um, the young woman uh, was dismissed, and the young woman was told that she could leave. Um, Joyce went over, started putting stuff back into the briefcase, and at that point I asked if I could make a point. Joyce seemed open, but she really didn't respond, and I just said... It's like, look, uh, the the question never got answered as to how I could feel connected again. And she didn't seem to really respond to that. It didn't seem to bother her. And I thought that was why she was in my home was to learn that. So, but I guess that conversation had ended. And I said, oh, by the way, emotion is the way, because that usually is the way in for me. But to be totally honest... The reason I said that, Mike, was I wanted to reinforce the connection I had with Sabrina and the fact since she had said she felt connected to me, I wanted to reinforce that as a as if I can be available to her, I certainly want to be. And that was the only thing I could think of to do in that moment. I don't know if it was effective. I don't even know if it played that way for for Joyce. So Joyce leaves with the briefcase. And the young man walks over to me. I mean, it's just him and me in my home. And he hands me the empty yogurt container and says, hey, next time, how about some pistachios or something? I'm trying to do the whole paleo thing. And I told him, I said, I have walnuts and almonds in the cabinet. If he'd spoken up, I would have given him some. (laughs) So uh, he walks out. um, And then a couple minutes later, he comes back. Because, and he, and I didn't understand why. And he just looked at me and said, words, Russell, words, words, words. And I was completely confused. Uh, but I asked if I could have his name and he shook his head and said, maybe later. Uh, he stepped inside. And what I realized is they had left a couple of papers sitting on my coffee table, which I guess Joyce was supposed to put in her briefcase. Um, I wish I had noticed them earlier. I guarantee you I would have looked at them but I didn't even notice that they were there. So I didn't see what was on them. He picks them up and he leaves. So hashtag missed opportunities. Yes, absolutely. So and approximately 20 minutes after that, um, my phone rang and when I answered it, I realized immediately it was Joyce and she says, Russell, I think we're becoming fast friends. And I, I had this totally unedited moment of, like, well, Joyce, I think you are the most interesting woman I've met in quite some time. <laughs> so she chuckled and she said something very quickly to me, Mike. And this becomes one of those moments where I don't know what to say because I think she was imparting something which was meant only for me. And this is the reason why I say that. She asked, she said, Russell, have you ever done this in your life? And she asked me if I'd done something very specific. And I said, and I and I was about to say yes, but she didn't even let me answer. And she said, you're going to have to do that again. It's like, if you've ever done that, if you've ever had been in that position where you've had to do this in your life, well, guess what? You're going to have to do it again, maybe soon, and I'm going to be there. So I don't know what that means, Mike, but she... She indicated that that I'm going to have to rely on something in my past. Okay, Mister Mystery. I it's one of those things like you know if you're given a you know like I you know I I immediately referenced on the forums or or pardon me I did not on the forums. Um, later I saw Megan. Um, 
And Megan was given a box earlier during the Lust experience, and she decided not to reveal what was in the box, and that was completely appropriate. I feel like that's what I have here is I have a box with something in it that eventually I might be asked to do something. I don't know. And and trust me, what she asked me to do is like, or or she what she asked if I had ever done. I'm sure she knew I had done because it wouldn't take much research because of that website. So. <laughs> because there's video um yeah i'm just talking in circles now but it just it it was a really odd ending to the whole scenario so yeah it it was um and to be totally honest you know the whole evening seemed to be spent about talking about how i'm not emotionally connected and to be totally honest after the health scare which had only happened not that long in front of this visit um it gave me a lot of food for thought so that was the visit with joyce so another weird thing that happened is on Instagram and Twitter, there was the hostess in black and she was someone that wanted to expose things and leak things. And long story short, she leaked some contracts. And in one of those contracts, a few participants uh, had their names in there and said that you cannot interact with these people until exhibit C. My name was one of those names, mm-hmm. along with Andrew Cash, uh, Brad, Sarah, and Melissa. Yeah. And funny enough, all of us got an email from someone named Mason Silver, who was doing research on ethics and immersive theater. And we all replied, and Mason gave me that kind of feel like, you know when you tell someone like, Hey, let's hang out. Like, let's grab dinner. And every time you say, Hey, let's grab dinner tonight. Let's do it tomorrow. Let's do it this day. And they just kind of like blow you off and don't ever follow up with what they say they wanted to do. That was kind of how I took Mason because he's like, I want all this stuff. And I was emailing him back and he just stopped replying. And it's like, dude, if you want this info, <laughs> I, like all of these people are talking crap about you on the forums, which you're on and you're reading. I'm probably one of the like few people that's giving you the benefit of the doubt and is actually trying to have a conversation with you and you blow me off. And then you talk crap about us saying that no one wanted to do this and no one and blah, blah, blah. And I called him out an email and he responded and I replied to that, and then he didn't respond again. What and was his response to that? He apologized. He's like, I oh, did really? It. Yeah. He's like, I, I wrote that in haste and blah, 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 all this stuff. Hmm. But whatever. Well, that's interesting because what I ended up getting was a phone call from Mason where apparently he asked me the same basic questions he asked you guys in that email. And... You know, the whole thing of like he's doing research on immersive theater. He was looking into the tension experience and the lust experience for what sounded like ethical violations of some kind, but he wasn't being very explicit. So um, he did ask me about the briefcase because, as I said, Joyce had posted a photograph on Facebook of that briefcase with lots of pictures and information about me, apparently, inside it. Uh, and he asked, he asked me... Um, if I had possession of the briefcase and I said no, and he said, well, is there anything in that briefcase that would concern me if it fell into the wrong hands? 
And and I said, look, everything that I saw in the briefcase is pretty public. The yeah. photos are on Facebook and social media. The picture of you and me came from a business's Christmas party we were invited to. Plus, they're already in the wrong hands. Uh, yeah. So, and I and like, and also, what does it matter? I'm not controlling that briefcase, so I have no control over where it goes anyway at this point. So. I, I basically said no. It's like, look, most of it seemed like public knowledge. I said I did notice that there was an email from iConfidant because the, you see the email address kind of peeking out of the back of the briefcase. So I, I had this weird vibe from him. Um, he asked uh, things like, had I ever signed an NDA or if I'd ever signed any sort of a waiver or privacy disclosure agreement um, with attention experience. And he was asking me other questions along those lines. And I, at one point I told him, I said, I feel like I'm failing you because it seems like you're fishing and I'm not giving you anything. And he explained that his foundation was just trying to reach out to some of the performers for other types of information as well. This whole thing just reeked of someone looking for a smoking gun. And I didn't have a smoking gun. I just didn't. Um, so he asked me specifically about some of the performers, so uh, including Damien, who, of course, we encountered um, in Ascension, uh, Sabrina, who, of course, I'd spoken to on the phone, um, Erica, who is a performer I really didn't encounter, um, Andrew Perez, who is a performer that I, I encountered briefly but had a huge effect on me during Tension, even though my encounters with him were fairly short. So, you know, I, I gave him honest answers to all of these questions, and he just seemed unsatisfied. So at the end there, Mike, he sort of shifted into standard survey mode of like, um, am I correct in thinking you live in this city? Am I correct in thinking that this is your address? Am I correct in thinking that and he just and I and I, I was at work. This was during business hours, the middle of the business day, and I had a, a meeting coming up. So at, by the end of this phone call, I was actually double checking my work um, and sort of like, okay, I have to be ready for this meeting in less than 10 minutes. So I absentmindedly was answering all these questions. And at the end, he said, do you live alone? I was like, yeah. I was like, so you don't have a roommate? No, I don't. And <laughs> I just said, I heard this phrase at the end and he goes, he, he sort of like lean, lean, like, you know, the sound when you lean away from a phone to say something to someone else in the room. I heard the phrase, the apartment is empty and the phone, it hangs up. That's amazing. Which I got to admit, there was this moment like, wait, what did I hear it? What did he actually say that? And I kind of kicked myself because it's such an obvious tactic and that I completely fell for. Yeah. Because you called me right after saying, asking me, do I go home? Should I go home? Are they, <laughs> what, what should I do? I was a little paranoid there for a moment because I had a business meeting in 10 minutes. I'm like, I don't have time to deal with this. <laughs> and then I, and then I, I realized with you, it was like, oh, wait, I live, there's a gate, there's a locked gate. It's like, there's, um, okay, there's no spare key. There's no, like, like I don't have, like, my neighbors are always on the lookout. I, I, just, I just feel like, okay, like, he would have a hard damn time getting into my home. Mason, that sounds like a challenge. No, it's not. <laughs> I think it is. So yeah, I I I thought oh my gosh, like this like I I completely fell for that. It's got to be a mind trick. Um so like I went to my meeting and I came out of my meeting and a few minutes after I came out of my meeting, 
my phone rings with a no caller ID and I swear it's Mason's voice. And all he does is he's sort of like, (sighs) very disappointed, very dejected. And so I don't know what that meant. So was he disappointed that he couldn't get into my place? Was he disappointed that he got into my place and he didn't find what he was looking for? I don't know what he was looking for. To me, it seems logical that whatever he would be looking for might be in that damn briefcase that he was trying to figure out where it is. So uh, it didn't make sense to me that that he would like take such a weird tactic about getting into my home, but he he seemed disappointed. And then also... You know, it, somebody else theorized that it might be that I hadn't posted on the forums about the phone call fast enough because I guess somebody else had also posted that they'd gotten a phone call or some interaction. Like, hey, sorry, I have a job and it was the middle of a business day. I got there as fast as I could. So, um, so yeah, that was my, my... I actually spoke to Mason on the phone. Numerous people have asked me what he sounded like because they're trying to figure out if there's multiple people calling people as Mason. He sounded very stiff and businesslike, and that's about as good as, as a description as I can give. You had a fun couple of days. Yeah, it was intense. Um, and like I said, I kind of stepped away for chapter three of this, and I honestly believe the reason Joyce reached out to me is because I think it's tied to Sabrina. Okay. Just my personal opinion. Just because, you know, she expressed that she was sorry she disappointed me at the iConfidant thing. And then again in this phone call, she mentioned a connection to me and she was sorry she disappointed me. So I, I think there's something there that is going on with Sabrina, but I can't figure it out for the life of me. I'm sure we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was sarcasm. <laughs> that was heavy sarcasm. So. For more information on The Lust Experience, go to thelustexperience.com. On Facebook, The Lust Experience. On Instagram, The Lust Experience. On Twitter, uh, look up Lust underscore experience. So there's a couple new things that tickets are on sale for. Um, uh, earlier we mentioned about how Instagram things are li- are turning into shows. Um, the Wazali Institute tickets went on sale. That was an Instagram account that... Um, was posting some ciphers and some coordinates and should be an interesting show. It's happening at Zombie Joe's. So The show is actually called Betwixt. Yeah, say that three times fast. <laughs> so that should be an interesting show, especially based on their Instagram and what they've been posting. They've been posting some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then also last year we talked about Heritage Scare, which was uh, basically a night of playing games at heritage square uh in la and it was really really fun it was um they're back this year for they have two dates uh, october 7th and 14th and tickets are on sale now and we'll have a link to that and to betwixt in the show notes and speaking of tickets so many haunts tickets are going on sale now it's awesome theatrical productions haunts there's a lot of stuff being announced. <laughs> yeah, so check out the calendar. It's been updated, and October is looking mighty fine and busy and packed. Um, 
so I have all the dates of stuff that I could find right now. I know it's probably not 100%, but it's constantly being updated. So make sure you check it out and go to myhauntlife.com slash calendar to see and plan your haunt season. I think that's it for now. I think that's it for now. Whew. It's hot and yes. it's late. <laughs> so if you want to contact us, you can email us at mike at myhauntlife.com or russell at myhauntlife.com with two S's and two L's. You can leave us a text or voicemail at the haunt line, 515-HAUNT-LA. I just mentioned the calendar, so check it out. It's awesome because October is huge and it's looking huge on the calendar and it's, I can't wait. Um, so yeah. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. See ya. So then we got back to our proper form and did, went, did. Our proper form? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. Like. <laughs>